fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Just killing it, doing great. Uh, you know, end of the weekend, as always, sitting down with my good friend for a drink. I uh, haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it was weird to have an episode publish and not have seen you last week. I didn't know how I felt about it. I was a little panicky. I've been going through some withdrawals. But uh, here I am back and feeling better. I got my fix. Yeah, yeah. so you had you had some illness along the way. Yeah, a little bit, a little touch of food poisoning on New Year's Eve. But, you know, I'm better now. All right, good. Better good. now. Good. We I, I went to California, as you know. Uh, and as some of you know, uh, did a little watch meetup in San Francisco with some boys down there. Uh, r- really good hosts. That was fun. I'm jealous. That was fun. Uh, you did text me uh, shortly after I got off work on Saturday. Are you on the road? Right. <laughs> you're, you're headed here, right? Yeah. Uh, y- yeah. Y- you know, um, <clears throat> so it was a little weird, right? I felt a little anxiety as I was getting close. I was telling Kim, you know, I, f- I feel nervous. I don't know what I feel nervous about. Well, people are going to see you, and you're off keto, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was good. You know, California was was always great. Kim's family is down there, and so we spent a lot of time with her, with her brother and his family, and Kim's father, and uh, Kim's mom and grandma. You know, the the full sort of the the whole meal deal. Um, lots of kids, lots of action. My kids got lice along the nice. way. Nice. Um, from well, other kids there or just because they're they're feral hard to say hard to say um we think that maybe we brought it with us oh yeah um uh, one of my children uh vomited in the car we were borrowing mm. uh that that was brutal uh that that was brutal was it able to remain contained or did it get everywhere oh uh, yeah no i mean there's no uh i can't i can't recall any circumstance that is anything like i would describe as contained oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was bad, man. Oh my God. Uh, but that it, you know, it sort of makes for a whole complete experience. Very family vacation. Yeah. Very national lampoon family vacation. Yeah. I mean, there were parts of it that felt that way. So uh, you know, and, and it's weird, right? Um it, it it's sort of weird being in another place that's not, you know, your home. And so you're already out of sorts. And then, you know, my wife has ways she works with her family, and that's different than the way we work in our family. And so there's just some tension there. Uh, n- nothing that is unacceptable or abnormal, but it's just, it, it, it can create some, a, some a, stress. Some stress. It's but, hard to live by the graciousness of others, to not be able to retreat to your own bedroom. Everything that you are existing with is by the goodness of somebody else. And that's, yeah. That's a hard thing to adjust to. I don't particularly like it either. Right. <laughs> and I know you don't. How about you? How was your holiday? Uh, it was good. Uh, it was nice to um, have family in town because obviously we just had a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby, but it was nice to have... But you did most of the work. Most of it. I, that's what I keep telling her. And she just gives me this really confused look. and Like she doesn't remember it the same way that I do. <laughs> uh, but it's whatever. But so it was nice to have family in town and, and to not go anywhere. And we had a really good reason to not go anywhere. So folks were coming down to see us and we had a whole bunch of people bring us dinners and... So we've had to do very little cooking over the last couple of weeks, and it was pretty low-key, very enjoyable. Uh, and I got to go back to work on Christmas Day, which was actually kind of a fun day to work. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed working holidays. I, I worked in restaurants and bars in college, and then obviously being in the army, you holidays aren't really a thing. Yeah, right. Uh, unless they are, it's it's either like you're definitely off or you're definitely working. There's right. none of the in between. <laughs> But I always kind of enjoyed it. Everyone's just typically in a good mood. Sure. And we're all just kind of in this shit storm together. We might as well enjoy ourselves. So back to work and just doing my thing, plugging away. And yeah, it was good. Bar- barring the food poisoning on, on New Year's Eve, I uh, like about s- six o'clock in the evening, I started to not feel great. And I just kind of like lay low, hit the couch, kind of napped a little bit. And then about 8 p.m., I went and uh, did something horrible to the toilet and was certain I was going to die. So I just got naked Mm -hmm. and laid down in the bathtub because whatever was going to happen was just going to need to be rinsed off. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And probably a half hour later, Sam came in and she's like, "Uh, what's going on here? Not doing so good. Fear of loathing in Las Vegas. Just leave me be. So, uh, yeah, had that and... You know, hit you in the head with an, with yeah, an orange. Uh, but fortunately, I recovered. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm back. Back to 100%. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And so a, a true and honest Happy New Year. This is our, our second episode of the new year, but the first time we're recording in the new year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So our, our first uh, or our last episode was recorded, um, gosh, one on the 22nd. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, 21st or 22nd. So yeah, this is... Uh, this has been several weeks since we've recorded, and uh, the most current stuff. So there's some new stuff happening, right? Uh, we have, uh, we have, and we're not going to talk too much about it today because we're going to talk about it at length. We believe in ne- the next week's episode, but we have a we have some guests that we're hosting. A, a notice sector drive dive watch, mm-hmm. not a drive watch, a dive watch. This is their skin diver, and I love it. Yeah, I love it a lot. Yeah, I was thinking they're probably not getting it back. Oh, they're definitely not getting right. it back. Right. Good yeah. I, I'll fight you for this. <laughs> you, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I'm sort of blown away. Like I said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want, I don't want to spoil it too much, but we can just tease it by saying y'all are going to en- really, really enjoy next week's episode. Is it okay for me to say that at 425 bucks, this is bar none the best deal in watches right now? I think it could be reasonable. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's I, I think my, that could be a reasonable statement to be making. I will I will admit to being slightly excited. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Slightly excited. But it, so in my slightly excited state, that is my feeling right now. I, but I, I don't know that it's hyperbole there. I think, I, I, I think this is one of the first watches we've come across that can go head-to-head with the Sarb and is at the same price point. Just a touch more. Mm-hmm. But this this watch can very easily go head to head with the Sarb, you, and you know, uh, well, we'll just leave it there. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Uh, so also, we've got this. Uh, some of you guys will have seen on the uh, Instagram. Well, somebody well, has it. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> Andrew hasn't seen it yet, and he's feeling a little sad about it. But we've got a Zen five five six A A, not I. Uh, I believe that's right. A, which is the limited edition redhead. Version. Wouldn't know. We don't have it here. <laughs> Uh, we one of our listeners sent us a Zen five five six. We're gonna have that in rotation for a little while. Probably get some good pictures of it. It's not our watch, so we're gonna be very careful. Brutal with it because it's not our watch. Drive it like you <laughs> stole it, right? Uh, you know, I don't know that I have authority to say whose it is or the circumstances of us having it right now. So uh, I, I will I will just leave it at that. But we've got that Zen five five six in in rotation, and 
It's been a pleasure. I'm sure it has been. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. You'll get you'll get your hands on it. You'll get your dirty, grubby hands on Mitts. it. Mitts. Uh very very soon. Um but yeah, that's uh that's been exciting. Uh any anything else watch wise new for you? No. No? No, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay. Nothing at all. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. Of <laughs> um, yeah, no, we actually, we're talking about watches today. We are. We're, we're talking about maybe, maybe something a little different than watches, uh, although it's certainly watch-focused. We're, we're going to make our predictions for what's going to happen in the year of 2020. Which we probably should have done for our last week's episode, but eh, because it was it. it was still in the last year. It, regardless. Don't Monday morning, we, don't Monday morning quarterback. We decisions. ended the year with our likes of the year, and we're going to start the year with what we think this year has in store for the watch world, for the watch industry, for watch wearers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in, in fairness, our, our focus is always going to be on... The affordable categories, because we just, that's that's us. So uh, that that's a good time to say, we've actually kind of crowdsourced this. Uh, we, we didn't crowdsource this in the in the traditional sense, uh, but, but we did actually reach out to uh, a, a number of folks that we trust. Some and of the homies, if you will. Some of the homies, you know, folks who are always in the know, um, always have really thoughtful um, thoughtful insight into the industry. And so, so before we get started, I just want to, I just want to give a shout out to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to announce these people by their Instagram handles. Um, but, but they're also real people, I suspect, at least for most of them. Yeah, they're definitely not Russian sex bots. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Instagram user at middle six feet. Uh, if you're not following him, do so. Uh, I don't think he's a private account, but maybe he is and, and then ask and he'll deny you if he wants. Uh, but this guy is always plugged in, always thinking about things, has great advice, always linked into sort of Seiko news. Um, Kat and Catlin over at 10 to media were, were immensely helpful. Um, Chad Wright, Instagram user at Chad Wright. If you haven't, if you haven't checked him out, photography is on fucking point. Um, Nick at Orion Watches, uh, mm-hmm. just totally plugged in, always thoughtful, uh, r- really keen on the trends in the watch world, uh, as demonstrated both by the things he says and the watches he makes, you guys. If you're not following Orion Watches, Orion Watches is ahead of the curve, I would say. And, and of course, our favorite or one of our favorites at Aggressive Timing Habits, who's just... <laughs> Sometimes the things he says are uh, wild and crazy, and yet he's very plugged in. I think that man has owned almost every watch on the face of the earth, too. Probably, yeah. At some point. So uh, special thanks to those guys. Uh, We'll shout them out again at the end. But uh, if you're not following those guys, you should be, and uh, because they're they're good folks, guys and gals, I should say. They're all good folks, you know, uh, at, at at 10 and 2 Media... 10 and 2 podcasts, those those ladies are, um, I think, probably the best podcast, the best watch podcast to listen to right now. Uh, they're more plugged in. Well, besides us. Yeah, definitely besides us, but probably, actually, they're quite a bit ahead of us. <laughs> probably. But if you're listening to us, honestly, you're listening to them already, so yeah, we yeah, don't need to tell you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 If you're listening to us, you're listening to them already. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they're totally plugged in. Uh, yeah, that's it. So without further ado, ado. Without further ado. 
That's the French version. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Because I do is maybe not French. Speaking of French, I got some sausage stuffers for um, Christmas. And I'm going to be making andouille sausage tomorrow. I'll bring you some. Sausage stuffer sounds sexual. It is sexual. Have you ever watched a sausage get stuffed? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, I'll bring you some andouille. Some sausage. I'm excited. What is it just like uh, organic skin? Yeah, just hog, hog uh, casing. Okay. Like intestines. It, oh, it is. It's actually from yeah. the intestines of a pig. That's how you... That's what sausages go in. Do you know the Do you know the deal with the calamari pig bung? Uh, there's this controversy. I don't know if it's real or not. It, it sounds like uh, it, it sounds like a um, a not a fairy tale, uh, urban legend, an urban legend. But I I think actually there may be some truth to it. That it, at a certain point in time there was a um inappropriately high percentage of pig bung. But literally, pig anus being passed off as calamari in the U.S. market. H- have you heard about this? I've not heard about that. I and I wouldn't be shocked because I know of a restaurant locally that was uh, serving nutria and and got caught doing that. So, uh, yeah, the dark underworld of the food service industry. It wouldn't shock me. Now, I would be kind of intrigued to see how that would occur. Because yeah. it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same structure as the muscle t- muscle tissue of calamari. Supposedly, they're remarkably similar. Not only the structure, but the flavor. Okay, this, terrific. The, the pig butthole is where it's at. But the so, thing is, like, it, it's not. I mean, an, an anus doesn't doesn't really have the same structure that uh, that calamari does. It's they the squid they shell. do have the same structure. They they have the same general shape when the when. So we're going to know anything about this. So we'll look into this. But if you know anything about this, drop us a line because uh, that's very interesting to me. So you're going to make sausage. I'm going to make you some sausage and I'll bring it to you. Okay, good. Okay, good. So without further ado, let's do it. Number one, simple, unadorned sports slash dress watches become the main focus of new releases. And that's what we've been talking about for what, three months that, that's been kind of our focus. That's where we see the industry going. I don't think that's a bold prediction. Mm-mm. I think that was a big factor in 2019 releases. I think we're going to see that momentum carry through to probably fall of 20. And then we'll start seeing a, a trend shift toward I don't know what exactly. I can't venture that far. And, I, and maybe they won't have to because I think we're going to see micros dropping sim- i mean simple skin divers and dress sport watches mm-hmm. all year we're going to see some come out of the big brands and i think with that we're going to see a lot of micros launch with simple dress divers as their flagship i think we'll see a lot fail but i think we're going to see a lot of micro brands and a lot of kickstarter brands try to launch with that as their flagship yeah, so I'm, I'm going to make two caveats. One is sort of the background on this, um, which is to say that that watch sales are in a really precarious place. Watch sales have been driven um, by Chinese mainlanders for the last many years, at least, that a huge portion of the uh, luxury watches purchased every year are purchased by folks in mainland China, primarily in Hong Kong. Uh, and, and that relationship has been strained it's been strained one of the things that happened is that um china increased or or set um a vat 
on luxury goods coming in. It mm-hmm. used to be that these folks in mainland China could go to Hong Kong, which is just right there, purchase luxury watches, bring them back. Now, that has become much harder to do, and I think that the VAT is as much as 60%, or or it's this huge number, uh, which is very expensive, right? If you buy a $10,000 watch, then you bring it back, and you pay $6,000 in in taxes on that. Um <clears throat> That's made it less attractive. So there's some muling going on. There's um, that relationship has been strained. Add to that the protests in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, And those sales, those sales have really taken a hard hit, uh, which has affected the luxury watch market in in the whole world, such that the sales of luxury watches are down, you know, as much as uh, 50% of places. Mm Mm-hmm. This is having the effect of squeezing the market. So I, I think we're gonna see I, I think we're gonna see this coloring our entire discussion today. What I'm hoping that that we see as a result of this is that luxury brands become a little bit more accessible so their prices can come down a little bit to make them actually accessible. Which is not to say that that we want to buy them, but to be on a waiting list for a year for a watch that should be in circulation is absurd to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I don't know that that's going to go away, but it, it may it may recede a little bit. So so the second caveat to this is is that I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction that's going to go uh, much further down on our list, but I think that we're going to see fewer new micro brands hit the market. So I, I, I like your idea of flagship, dress sort of the simple unadorned dress watches what i'd like to see is i'd like to see some micro brands make a dedicated dress watch which is something we don't see very often right Mm -hmm. uh i I think that 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 market is probably pretty narrow but uh i i think that that sort of goes in with this i think we're going to see those simple unadorned not divers not chunky uh rugged outdoor watches own that segment anymore. I think that more and more and more we're going to see our dress sport divers or our dress sport and and sport divers really take over. Your go anywhere, your true go anywhere, do anything, one watch watches. Yeah. So, number two. Numero dos. Numero dos. Uh, micro brand GMTs. 2020 Ooh. is going to be the year of the micro brand GMT. We're, so we're going to see them launch finally. We're going to see them launch. So <laughs> this is this is information that we've got from a number of people. In um, it's not information. It's not any any sort of secret intel. But but this sort of seems to be the trend uh, from people who kind of should know what they're talking about. But there is a um, an amount of Eta twenty eight ninety threes and Salita three thirty one movements that are sort of hanging out they're available they're out there and it seems very likely that micro brands are going to be making a move towards these fourth hand gmt watches and i hope that's the case because we like you said we have talked to some folks in the know who are planting that goal on their horizon Mm -hmm. and i would love to see some accessible gmt's from brands that we know, that we love. And it'd be really cool to see some micros try to launch with a GMT as their flagship, as long as they stay in that affordable category. And and I know that's hard, but that's the only way they're going to be able to make it. 
people aren't gonna aren't gonna get on board with a micro first watch ringing in north of a thousand for the most part, especially a GMT. And with the ex- excess of movements out there, with the access to movements that are out and available, I think we can see some really cool GMTs coming in from micros. And I cannot wait so to get my hands on them. It, this is not secret information, although we do have, we have been privy to some sort of insider renders, but uh, EMG Watches has been floating a fourth hand GMT movement these last couple of weeks. Um, Eric sent us some renders of things we're expecting. I don't know if that's the final stuff. I'm not obviously allowed to sort of release that stuff, but um, I'll do it though. <laughs> but and Andrew can. Um, but y- y- you know, that's just uh, that's just one, and and we know that there are others out there sort of cooking too. So this will be the year that we see. Uh, those start to hit market. Whether or not they come out in 2020 or they're announced in 2020, this will be the year that we're going to start seeing those. Good. Yes. About time. <laughs> so three, this is actually a two-parter. So 3A. Okay. So 3A. Seiko will continue its push into the higher markets, in particular with their sport watches into pro specs. Yep. Including a release of a true pro specs SKX Descendant. Mm. at or around a 500 475 to 500 msrp i don't i disagree that price point i think that the way seiko is trending i think we'll see it probably in the seven to eight hundred sure sure just because that's where everything's trending right now i think that will be their their true entry prospects if they do launch this because because as it stands right now we're seeing that seven eight nine hundred dollar Mm-hmm. prospect diver at a seiko and i don't and, and they're not struggling with it yeah there's just no there's no reason for them to introduce an affordable ish prospect diver when they've got the 5kx line and so sort of the second clause to this 3a will be that seiko will continue to wind down no surprise to anybody seiko is going to continue to wind down its entry level options mm-hmm. so it's going to be more difficult to get a, a hundred to an, you know a 50 to 150 dollar seiko uh, automatic, certainly automatic watch. Um, and, and they're going to continue their push into that prospects, that higher end prospect stuff. So the lesson to be learned there is buy those SNKs at $75 yes. now. Yes. Buy yes. them all. Today or yesterday at SNK on a bracelet, um, black, black dial SNK, double O, SNK 809, uh, 79 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anything you want to add to that? I, I mean, I think I think that's right on the nail, and I, I I don't know if that's even that big of a prediction. That's that's just following the trend that Seiko's been showing us over the last several months. They're paring down their five series. They're they're getting rid of the SKX, and it's because they don't need the SKX anymore. They filled that void. They've got their prospects line. That's what they want us to be buying. Yeah, that's what they want consumers to be buying. They don't want a prospect diver to for go for two hundred bucks. bucks. Yeah, no, no, because you they want you to spend the seven hundred dollars, the eight hundred dollars on the yeah. sumo and on the on the samurai and that whole other suite of watches and they need to pare down because their catalog's too deep they don't need to have ten thousand watches available at the macy's counter they just don't that's not cost effective i I think we're going to see a lot better designed a lot more thoughtful watches coming out of them because as they pare down the attention to all these weird i mean the recraft series is cool but the recraft series is not 
It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and it's, in a business model. It doesn't I mean, have the universal appeal no. of, of something like an SKX. So. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I think that that's right. I mean, I think that we're going to see more and more Seiko sort of competing in the same world as, um, you, you know, I hesitate to say Tag Heuer. I, I don't think that they're there yet, but I think that they're pushing closer to that Tag Heuer, perhaps perhaps uh, Longines or Oris mm-hmm. in that in that range. They're going to continue to push for it. They're still wider than I think any brand. And when I say wider, I mean the their price range is is wider than I think any other brand and watches. And, oh, absolutely. And, and it will continue to be that way. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change. No, their catalog just won't consist of 500 SKUs. Yeah. They'll, they'll probably get down to 250. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. that That's a possibility, though, that that, that they pare down that. They and and that, that won't happen in 2020, but that, that I think, is going to be their long-term goal, is, yeah. is streamlining their production processes to... To, to reduce the amount of SKUs that are out there so that when they do drop a new SKU, it's meaningful. That when Seiko drops a new watch, people pay attention. Sure. Because Seiko has new watches all the time that that you, you've never seen before. Right, right. Well, and, and I think that maybe this is part of that push is that Seiko is going to really sort of uh, start plugging more and more of these quote-unquote JDM exclusives into the U.S. market. So I think if, if there's a plus side to this... Mm-hmm. I suspect it's that in the U.S. market, we're going to start to see more and more of these sexy JDM Seikos. And I can't wait for that. Yeah. So there's a lot of them that I wish I could just buy at the Macy's counter. Right. Because if they were at the Macy's counter, I'd go buy them. Yeah. As it stands, I'd have to buy them on Amazon. Or, or, or from Seiya yeah. or Sakura yeah. or something like Some, that. Someone, yeah. someone online. But regardless, I, I think I think Seiko's making the right moves. I wish they hadn't dumped the SKX. It makes sense that they did. But I... I think they're they're making some cool moves, and I'm, I'm excited to see what how that changes the watches that they are coming out with, and how they maintain their how they maintain their accessibility to mm-hmm. the entire watch world, and still push themselves up to that Tag Heuer kind of category of luxury watch. You know, and I hear a lot of hyperbole from folks, you know, that comment on on our show, and, and just generally sort of the watch commenter the 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 read the comments uh the folks in the comments are really lamenting this thing from seiko and, and for good reason right it, it hurts you, you know uh it, it hurts to lose that part of seiko because i think that it's the writings on the wall we're losing that part of seiko and, and so for those of us that got into the hobby when the question was do i get an snk or do i get an skx to have that sort of pending um, elimination of that mm-hmm. category, I think, is 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 a little disruptive and, and sad. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone can blame Seiko for the decisions they're making. You know, I, I do see the occasional, oh, Seiko's gonna, everybody's gonna turn away from Seiko. Well, no, they're not. Right? Seiko knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, they know. I mean, they're 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 gonna. We're gonna start seeing Seikos the same caliber as Grand Seikos. Because they're going to be in direct competition with one another, and that's a good thing. It is going to be harder for for folks to get into that affordable watch category when the SNK goes away, when sub one hundred dollar automatics are no longer on the on on the field to be able to purchase. But I think that's just going to make for more discerning watch buyers right out of the gate when people buy a watch. 
it's going to either be like, oh, it's a Macy's counter, or they're going to, it's going to be a super thoughtful decision because it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. So on that note, three sub B, three B. Okay. Orient will emerge as the new Seiko. I think that's, I, I think they're, they're starting to show that already. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I, I hope that 2020 brings Orient recognizing that they make watches with one glaring fucking flaw that makes you not like the watch. And they start holistically designing their watches in such a way that you don't go, oh, this is great. But maybe they'll just go towards, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh... You, you know we've lamented various features of of Orient watches o- over the over the I guess going on years at over this the point. years, <laughs> um, but it, yeah I think that's right I think that we're going to start to see better releases from Orient I think Orient's going to uh, focus on targeting this um, th- this this opportunity you know and, and and if they if they aren't then they should be right because they are killing it at the entry level. the The release of the Kamasu and the Kano mm-hmm. um, are are right where they need to be. So I, I think that we should be looking for Orient to open up its entry level offerings. Oh. You know, I'd love to see a, <clears throat> something in the field watch category from Orient. You know, the Bambino has forever and ever and ever, Amen, been the the best um, entry level. Dress watch, although you and I think agree that it's probably slightly too big. For yeah, it's about watch. about three millimeters too big. Uh, but but still, it, it's sort of been the one. You, you know, I, I think that Orient will expand its entry level um, in in hopefully discreet but but tasteful ways, and they will emerge as as that entry level champion. Can I make a bold prediction, please, within yes. this category? Please, yes. I think it will not be Orient. I think it should be Orient. I think Orient is poised to be the one to take this role. I don't think it will be. Okay. I think it's me, Timex. Well, so that is uh, number four on the list. I, 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 so, okay. So I'm, I am jumping a little ahead, but I think it's going to okay. be Timex. I wish it would be Bolova, though, because I think Bolova is probably the second best position brand in the industry to be able to fill that void. I just don't know that they're making the right choices in their release of watches and in the kind of purging of their catalog to be able to do it. But I think Bulova should see this void in the market and make that move to fill that void because I think they have the heritage within the brand. Mm -hmm. They've got great designs. They've got shitty designs too, Mm -hmm. but they've got great designs. They make good watches. They are established and they could really easily fill that void because they're already in all the places that Seiko is in and they're going to they they're so well positioned to fill that vacuum. You, you know, I, I think that I, I like it in the in the fairy tale fantasy world. I don't think it happens. I think two two problems for Bolova. One, their um their uh, decision making department has its head in its ass and But this is the year they could change that. And they got some taint on them. They yeah, got, but they got some stank on them. But they can, they could, they're positioned really well to fill that vacuum. Yeah. I just, I, I wish they would. Well, and, 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 but I, but I do think it'll be Timex. And, and, and so I, I think with 
with the vacuum being left by Seiko, to the extent that we're going to assume that vacuum's going to leave a, a vacuum, and and that we're positing the idea that maybe Orient fills that, or, or perhaps Timex, or perhaps a brand like Bulova, I also think that we're going to see companies like Mido, 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 Longines, mm-hmm. and Tissot. I think those companies are going to. Uh, maybe less Tissot, but certainly companies like Mido and, uh, or certainly maybe less Longines, but certainly companies like Tissot and Mido, I think are going to plug some of this space. I think uh, Tissot has a lot of the same issues that Orient does, though. They create, they they drop these watches that you like everything, but one characteristic of it makes it a watch you can't justify buying. Yeah. Well, so so they're all in the running, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're all in a good place to sort of take advantage of this. I'd love to see Longines do it. Yeah. Well, and, and Longines is maybe uh, a, a little bit ahead of the rest of the, the mm-hmm. folks in this category. I think they're I think they're just a, a slightly different segment. Yeah. I don't know if they I don't know if they're as well positioned to be able to fill a segment they're not already in. Yeah. Whereas Mido is kind of already in there. Uh, Tiso was definitely already mm-hmm. in that category. Mm-hmm. Bulova's already in that category. Citizens already in that category, but I don't see Citizen making any changes to what they're already doing. And I, I I don't think there's anyone else as well positioned to do it as Timex or Bulova. I'd love to see Orient do it, but their U.S. marketing kind of shit. So. What about Swatch? I don't think so. Okay. Well, so, so <laughs> obviously Mito and Tissot are... are Swatch brands, but yeah, but, but I, I don't think, think the brand Swatch will. Hard to say. I, I think that they're also poised. So, um, yeah. So uh, why don't we? T- I, I guess that's a good time for us to move on to four, uh, w- which is that Timex will release at least three super hyped pieces in 2020. I think they're good for more than that. I think they're good for at least one a quarter. So four. Yeah. Okay. I like it. So in, in in 2019, 2018, 2019, we saw sort of the the small Marlin, mm-hmm. the big Marlin, and then obviously the Q Timex. Yeah, and I think they've got more. I think they've got more in the Q, and they're just waiting to drop them one by one and build on that momentum. And I think we're going to see some awesome stuff coming out of Timex that's super affordable, that's super on trend with where the watch industry is going. And has all the heritage you want out of this awesome brand rebranding itself. So I wonder about the Q Timex. Um, if you're, you, you know, I think that Timex uh, swung and missed a little bit with their American documents. Mm-hmm. Watch this this last year. It, it certainly wasn't a. a a chart buster. Um, but but the Q Timex, I, I wonder if you don't know anything about watches, is the Q Timex moving the needle? It has to be. I, I don't think it is. I think for someone who's uh, a sort of Macy's counter first watch buyer, I don't know that it's moving the needle. I think that they are focusing on the aficionado in a way that is maybe not... Uh, immediately obvious um but i think that they're reaching for some brand respect Mm -hmm. which is which is what's going to grow that brand if they 
if they get the the watch industry paying attention to them, they become a conversation in the watch industry. They're going to be known for more than the easy reader, more than the weekender. They're going to be better than the watches that aren't even in the case at Walmart, which I think is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get into the case at Walmart's. And I think that's, I think the, the American documents is that way. So they're not just on the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like they're yeah. not just on the spinner. You can't just grab one and put it in your pocket and walk away. Right. They're, they're trying to get in the cases. They're trying to appeal to watch people. And in order to do that, they've got to drop watches that have some cost to them and justify that cost. And they're justifying their cost with, I, even the American documents, I think is a miss. Yeah, I it, think they missed a little bit on that one. But, but for watch people, it was a miss. Yeah. For people looking to buy a, an attractive watch at a reasonable price, not a miss. Yeah, maybe maybe not, right? I, I think that it was sort of targeting that that segment of people that are buying um, Shinola watches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or that would like to. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. And the, I think the Q-Timex was such a hit for the watch world that it could it could be to the detriment of that end that they're trying to reach. Yeah. Because they're still not available. So we'll you see. still can't fucking buy them. We'll see how they negotiate this, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think you could be onto something that they may they may step in to fill some of that void too. So um, okay, anything more on that topic? What else do you think they're going to drop this year? Because I don't I don't think we ever see dress divers out of out of Timex. I don't think we ever see real dress sport. I think we see some cool retro releases some some vintage inspired releases i think we see some good field watch releases where we're going to see some some automatic cool field watches that are still going to be in that real timexy appearance where you recognize it immediately as a timex but we're going to see all their upgrades to steel we're going to see some good pvd out of them this year i think and we're going to see huge moves in their movements so i would uh i, I would my response to your question, what do you think they're going to drop? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to separate this into two categories. One, what I think they're going to drop, and two, what I what I wish they would drop. Okay. Uh, I think what we're going to see is a reliance on their back catalog. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some fun reissue slash retro pieces. Um, I, I think that they're going to release at least one or two more Seiko automatic type mm-hmm. um, watches. I think that we're going to see um, just a general shift towards sort of appealing to the retro watch nerd because that's kind of where the market is is right now, and I don't think mm-hmm. it's going anywhere. What I wish they would do, what I wish they would do is I wish they would make a serious no-shit entry-level automatic expedition. That'd be cool as shit. I, and I think that could be a 2020 announcement for a 2021 release because we see they just dropped the automatic nav timer didn't they uh yes yeah, yeah so yeah yeah and that's that's available currently i think that's a really cool thing that they could grow some that they could grow with and keep improving on that do another iteration of of diving style watches that are mm-hmm. still in that very vintage inspired still in that very uh work hard bang around category and i think that's where where timex is going to find their niche for for discerning watch buyers who want to be hard on their watch but don't want to wear a g-shock yeah yeah no i think i think that's right i I would love to see a steel sort of middle of the road not high end but you know a 250 to 300 dollar 
steel automatic expedition. Yep. That's what I want to see. I could go for that. Okay. Number five. Okay. Unisex watches. I, we. What is a unisex watch? <laughs> we, the 40 and 20, are predicting. Push in, too. That's right. That's right. Uh, a proliferation of watches marketed not at men necessarily, but specifically marketed at men and women. There is a sentiment, a sentiment from people who should uh, be the best equipped uh, to make that, to, to have this, to share this sentiment that uh, watchmakers, big and small, are doing some things wrong when with their marketing of the watches to the sexes. Oh, definitely. I um, and and I agree totally. Uh, but I think we're going to see more of a proliferation of watches that are not intended for a man, not intended for a woman. I think that means conservatively sized 37 to 39 millimeters, um, not adorned with flowers, uh, roses, rose gold, rose gold, diamonds, um, but watches that are meant for everybody. Now, some of you are going to say this is not a problem. And and maybe some of you in some ways are right, because if the SNK 809 has been marketed as a men's watch, uh, specifically, it's probably by the people retailing that more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so right. Is there anything sex based in the SNK 809? Arguably, no. But I think that we're going to see more and more companies sort of being deliberate to say this is a watch for a man or a woman i think women are a really untapped market in the watch world and and to the extent that companies are are attempting to tap women they're (laughs) uh to the extent companies are attempting to tap into that market they're doing so in these anachronistic um 60s mad men style um well, look, this is a watch for women, and you know because it's got diamonds on the bezel and flowers on the on the dial, um, and and that is a mess. That is a a silly thing to do in twenty twenty. I think I, I I think I would like to see unisex marketed watches. I think before that, there's got to be just a slight culture shift in women wearing watches uh because i i i have encountered this and this is purely anecdotal but several women in my life have asked about watches they should buy or watches that i would recommend because they i mean i guess i'm an authority on it i'm I'm apparently i'm not related to what women should buy because i'll show them the snk i'll show them uh the the sun and moon uh petite mm-hmm. from orient I'm like no those look like dude watches mm-hmm. but i i i guess i don't maybe i'm an idiot and i'm i'm totally open to that because i i probably am an idiot but i i think there's more to do with the what women perceive to be a feminine appearance of a watch because there's so much because do just typically wear watches. And maybe I'm just being an idiot right now. Like I said, I'm, I'm totally up for that idea. Um, but even diminutive size 36, 37 watches uh, tend to have a uh, an aesthetic that, in, at least in my life, 
women are not attracted to. And and, and I'll, I will, at the risk of uh, speaking for you, say neither one of us think that women need to change anything with regards Correct. to what they like or how they wear watches. Uh, th- that's not what you're saying. No. And, and um, right, women don't need to change. The, the, the market needs to change. Yeah. But uh, th- that is, uh, you, you know, I, I think that these are probably symbiotic changes that could be happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that the brands can control this a lot. You, you know, what if, when you on your website you put pictures of a man wearing a watch and a woman wearing the watch and say this is a watch for a man or a woman that this, this is a watch it's it, not a watch for anyone this is a watch this is a watch so that in and of itself mm-hmm. i think would fix 90% of the problem concur um so but but yeah there's there's going to be some market differences between what the average woman likes and the average man likes and and, and so it's it's not unreasonable to recognize that but to be clear, we're not saying women need to change anything right, yeah, and that, about what yeah. they like. No, I, I concur. There is a uh, Seiko watch that is, it's called a women's watch. It's got a mother of pearl dial. Mm-hmm. I think it's a 36. I absolutely love it. Right. I would I would wear the shit out of that watch. I really like mother of pearl. I, 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 I don't know if I could pull it off, but I'd like to. It's such a cool dial material. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, but I hope to see that. I hope to see that shift coming from the industry. So number six? Do me. More gold watches. Gold watches are going to be a larger percentage of the new releases in 2020 than they were in 2019, and and even more than in 2018. Gold is coming back. It is. And a lot of things that I uh, don't like are coming back, unfortunately. And I have a coworker who said... One of the things, and he's he's older. He's in his in his fifties. Uh, he said one of his favorite things. Does he have a mustache? He doesn't. Okay. Uh, but he said one of his favorite things about hipsters is that they're bringing back a lot of artisanal talents because hipsters do things like craft wood yeah. and make instruments right. and do leather work and jewelry and all kinds of handmade things. Hipsters also like gold watches <laughs> and i think watch companies are getting hip to that yeah like that and i yeah. and i think we're gonna see i think you're right we're gonna see a lot more gold releases not exclusively gold releases i think we're gonna see watches that come out with a gold iteration they're gonna be a little bit more expensive you know we saw it with the good speed and we see it with laurier mm-hmm. and i think we're gonna i think you're 100 percent right on that we are gonna see start seeing some some gold uh colorways PBD. coming out of watches yeah gold pbd we're, we're, we're just gonna see it uh and that sucks but we're gonna see it <laughs> i don't think it sucks i like it but I, I i know what you're saying i know what you're saying i'm totally down with hipsters doing cool artisanal stuff though <laughs> just like that guy eric from ea8 yeah, that guy. Total hipster. Yeah, God. I bet he has a curly mustache, too. <laughs> uh, you know, I saw a uh, hipster dad the uh, this summer at the park, and he was in a, uh, he was in a, like a, a shirt with like the sleeves cut off, and it was, it was a Henley with the sleeves cut off, and nice. he, had, he had a leather vest on, but a nice thin leather vest. Yeah. And he had a curled, beeswaxed up handlebar mustache and a little pointed goatee. And did he have a mullet? No, he had a man bun, uh, and he was wearing a gold Casio calculator watch. Fucking love it. I love it. You should have talked to him. Yeah, no. (laughs) 
Hippies no. use the back door. No, I, I didn't talk to that man. Okay, so number seven. And this is a little bit more all-encompassing. We are going to only talk about this for less than four minutes. But I suspect that this could have been the entire show. There's going to be a consolidation of the micro slash enthusiast watch brand. Meaning there's going to be more authorized dealer relationships Mm -hmm. amongst the micro brands. There are going to be more of these fringe micro brands. So the smaller micro brands sort of closing up shop and there are going to be fewer new micro brands to fill those spots. We're going to see fewer of the micro slash enthusiast brands in 2020. I disagree. I think we'll see more and I think we see more fail. I think this is the year that we see more micros fail to launch than previous years because it's so popular. I I think you're right in saying that we're going to see fewer actually rise to the surface. We're going to see more try. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't disagree. I just, I think, I think we, I want to go a little bit deeper. We're going to see more attempts this year than we ever have, but we're going to see fewer succeed. One suggestion that was kicked to me, sort of ancillary to this prediction, is that 2020 will be the year that Kickstarter sort of fails as a model for watch brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that I think that these ideas go hand in hand. You know, I, I think that we'll see the the market us us. I think we're going to see us less willing to um, adopt a newcomer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I, I think that as the luxury brand sort of loses its ubiquity, right? Right. Cause the market still wants a Rolex, mm-hmm. right? Worn and wound had a great article about, you know, predictions. It was worn and wound, right? Is what I, I think it was a blog to watch. Oh, shoot. You're right. A blog to watch had a great article about sort of the oh yeah it was Ariel Adams mm-hmm. from a blog to watch uh, wrote a great article about uh, predictions on what twenty twenty holds for the watch industry. This is next level shit. We are doing sort of surfacey um, item specific predictions. Ariel is a different brain. This guy is plugged in. He knows market trends, and his article is insanely interesting. And so we got to give a shout out to him because some of our background material is, is sourced from. That article, <clears throat> um, but uh, you, you know he he talks about this um, as the market sort of squeezes, which is happening right now, mm-hmm. the luxury market in particular. Folks become less interested in buying a watch for their personal enjoyment, and more interested in watching buying a watch uh, for recognition. Mm-hmm. And, and so, in, in that environment, brands like Rolex do really well. And in turn, Rolex has done a thing, uh, and Omega, not just Rolex, but Rolex, I think, is is easy to make sort of uh, a representative of the luxury watch world. And they're because right? they're the pinnacle. That's right. That so, in, in, in the eyes of every consumer, that's the pinnacle. Instead of making more watches to reach demand, they keep making the same amount of watches to the extent that their watch becomes a, a currency as opposed to a watch that's subject to the fluctuations of 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 supply and demand, uh, their watch sort of sets the currency value, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and 
whether that's intuitive or not, or whether that's that's um, a completely universally wise business model, doesn't really matter because that's what they're doing and, and they've done it very well. So um, with that, I think that we're going to see people doing a couple of things. And, and, and I think that one of those things, one of those things that's going to affect our world, our when I say our world, the watches we think about, is that people are going to be less inclined to buy the new Trasca or, you know, or maybe Trasca is established, but, you know, whoever's Trasca in 2020, whoever's the 2018 version of Trasca, I think people are going to be less inclined. What are you offering me mm-hmm. that I can't get from Notice or Trasca or a brand that is is already got the capital to make the watches is shipping this right now? Is making a strikingly similar watch. That's right. That I know has been produced. And I can put my hands on already. They they have ironed out their manufacturing issues. They have ironed out their supply chain issues. They have ironed out their customer service issues. And they're established. And, and I think we see that in, in most industries that are emerging. I think the last five years have been incredible for the watch industry because we've seen such an explosion of micro brands and boutique brands who've been able to come to market, produce high quality watches with the same caliber of movements you're getting out of a lot of luxury watches and have been able to deliver. We've seen a lot fail. I think now though, the ones that are established are here and they've kind of, they've set the foundation for this corner of the market and to break into it's going to be extremely difficult. We'll see some some thrive though. We'll see a couple cool micros come up this year, but not many. And Kickstarter, I, th- I think it's gonna it's gonna fall away. Yeah, it, it, at least at least fall out of prominence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's watch companies are gonna have to find a new way to establish and, and to develop capital for their for their venture. It's just it it's not viable anymore because there are so many options. I mean, if if you look at Goodspeed. And this isn't a knock on good speed at all because he's making really cool watches. Yeah. But you can get a, a comparable watch that's already in production. Right. It, it's going to be harder for guys mm-hmm. like Jeremy mm-hmm. at good speed to, to jump in and, and convince you to buy that watch. Mm-hmm. We, 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 to a certain extent, I think we've seen that happen with uh, a brand like Atra, right? You, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think Atra had manufacturing issues and, um, and at the end of the day, they decided to sort of delay or, or halt their process. But I think that some of that has to do with the watch world's reluctance to sign off on an $800 watch side on scene, mm-hmm. which is maybe fair, um, but uh, it, it, it signals a dynamic shift. I mean, look at Tesla. Tesla can now use, a, I mean, basically a Kickstarter model in their pre-order capital infusions, but they had to deliver first. Yeah. They had to give, they had to have capital upfront to push products to market and say, Hey, this is what you guys can have. Now give us the rest of the money. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. And that's what we're going to have to see out of watch brands in the next, I mean, forever now. That's the, the, the Kickstarter crowdsourced model is, is going to fall. So I think that that is, um, probably a good place to leave it you know obviously there's going to be a hundred ideas that are adjacent or ancillary to these things that we've uh, already discussed that are are um 
relevant and and you know we've probably said some things that are just blatantly uh gonna flop uh but i think that that from where we sit this is what we see in in this next year um what do you think we we missed what do you think we could have uh, touched on because this this could be a, a topic that we'd be willing to revisit uh at least on a limited basis in the future. So if you have ideas, Andrew, any other predictions, any other hot takes that you want to drop before we shift? I dropped them all. You dropped them? Mm-hmm. Like they were hot. Like they were hot. So I will mention the toxic lava. I had that the other day. The, the toxic wings. Yeah, I went to toxic wings the other day, and the toxic lava, it was the it was nearing closing time, so it was the bottom of the of the little little dish. It was hot. This the, wasn't by any chance on December thirtieth or thirty first. No, it was not. It was. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was just a couple days after that. I was. I was still a little bit uh, tenuous, and I probably shouldn't have had toxic lava because that's that, fucking brave. Because that referred only to what it what it did uh, phase three. <laughs> All right. So other things we've got an exciting. I, I don't actually think this will be exciting for anybody, but not I think for most of you. We're both <laughs> anticipating this with glee and we're, pleasure in our eyes. We're ready to duke it out. So, uh, uh, well, I guess this was just last week. It's been several weeks for us. Um, uh, but we, uh, I, I, you, Everett, posited a a theory or an idea, a very hot take, a hot take that a Knight's Tale was a severely underrated. No. Okay, give it to me. You what did said I say? it was the most underrated movie in the last twenty years. I think that that <laughs> did I say that? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'll stand by that for the purposes <laughs> of the ending conversation. Uh, and, and so we left with a mission to both watch. You, you know what I'm going to say? First off, I'm really pissed off about the timing of your wild claim. Okay, because it has been on Netflix for the last six months. Yeah. It's not on Netflix currently, so I had to pay three ninety nine to rent it from Amazon. You could have borrowed my Showtime login. Okay, I paid three ninety nine to rent it from Amazon. <laughs> Continue. Uh, all right. So uh, apparently, I said some shit, and now I have to defend that. So we both watched it. You we, watched it. I did with the wife, as you requested. Okay, and I watched it with the family just yeah. today, actually. You did. I I caught the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will say that it, there's some chance that at that time that I said that wild thing I said, there was some hyperbole in in my cadence. No. No. <laughs> With that said, I watched it today and I still loved it. I, I don't dislike the movie. I, I, but, but what I will say is it is not underrated in any way at all. It It is... It's a 2001 release. Heath Ledger as the leading man. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I'm not going to pour any booze out on your floor, but you know, we got to pour one out for the homie. Yeah, this is a carpet, man. <laughs> so it'll soak it right up. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's worth watching. But when you sit down to watch this movie, what you see is a knight, a brave knight upon his steed, jousting his way into the history books on the cover. What you get is the last 90s heartthrob movie ever made. And it's so good for a 90s heartthrob movie. It, it but but it is it has it's not so good for a 90s heartthrob movie. It's just a 90s heartthrob movie, but they based it in medieval times and they took all the 90s 
things and they dropped it into the Middle Ages Europe. They included the the sports thing, yeah. the the love interest, the chasing of the of the beauty that he wanted, yeah. the weird outfits, the yeah. like the only thing this movie was missing was Smash Mouth in the soundtrack. I wanted that. And they're singing, they're singing Queen in the Middle Ages in the stadium as these guys are jousting. There's the World Tournament. This is a goofy movie, like literally the movie, a goofy movie in the Middle Ages starring Heath Ledger. But isn't it charming? Yes. It, surprisingly charming? It is surprisingly charming. And in and, and fairness, this is 2001. This is before decent period pieces. It was horribly anachronistic like painfully so the acting is pretty good for a 90s heartthrob yeah but this is a 90s teen movie the cast is good it it is everyone did everyone played their part for a 90s teen movie that was set in the middle ages but it's not it it is rated perfect for however it, it 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 performs it's got john smith from the uh Oh, what's the name of the uh, time traveling? A time traveler's wife? Nazi movie or Nazi oh, show? Uh, Uber Grubenfuhrer Smith? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle. Uh, it's got Heath Ledger, rest in peace. It's got, I mean, it's just. It's got great actors. Really it, well executed. It, no. I disagree 100%. I think it's real. I think it's deliberate, deliberately campy without any apologies. Which I love. I love a deliberately campy movie without apologies. But it does so in a way that doesn't... You, you know, sometimes camp will take away. And, was, and I think you're arguing that the camp takes away. It was really distracting for me. I think that they... if I think if that they had attempted to make it less campy, I think that they, if for even one second, had been more serious than they were, it would have been stupid. But because... They they strike they strike that balance between camp and genuine emotion. I think they nailed. It. I, I will say I do get goosebumps when I watch it. Yeah, but I, there's also there's there there are so many just absolutely needless things in that movie. Why did Uber Grubenfuhrer Smith go to war during the <laughs> during the Lansing season? Because, because apparently they needed conflict. Because they, apparently there's jousting seasons, and then he's at war. He's fighting. He's leading what the uh, the free companies at war, and he's he's. <laughs> He's, you know, he's reading the newspaper on how his jousting rival right. <laughs> is doing back in Great Britain. Reading it, the sports page. Yeah, that <laughs> it, it's just it. Uh, uh, so uh, fair to say the the dual Nike symbol. Yeah, the it, dual Nike. There, symbol there are just was... so many weird things. That movie would have been just as good if he was playing soccer or skateboarding no, or certainly. rollerblading. Certainly, it, certainly, it, I agree with you there. Right? It, it, it reminds it would have been me better if he was skateboarding. It, it, it reminds me of a couple movies. So I think that the that movie. I think you're right to say this is a, a culmination of the '90s heartthrob movie in a period piece. It reminds me of a couple things. One. Um, Elements of Leo, Kate, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Romeo and Juliet. Yep. Elements of Cool Runnings. Yep. Um, you, you know, it's got this sort of simple, approachable, n- not overly serious Disney uh, type movie The w- with this sort of modern, 
retro uh, period piece mm-hmm. thing. With all that said, I think unlike a number of movies from that period, right? Fair, yeah. No. So, so I mean, go back and look, watch 10 Things I Hate About You. That's what it felt like I was watching. That movie sucks, and this one doesn't. Okay. I don't disagree, but all I, right. I sort of do. Everybody liked 10 Things I Hate About You. It doesn't age well. What it I'm saying. did not. I think 10 Things I Hate About You did not age well. I think this did. I My kids asked me when it was made. Is this an old movie or is this a new movie? Like they, okay. they, they, they enjoyed it. My kids, my little kids enjoyed it. Well, because it's a fun movie. It's fun. It's got weird comedy. It's got really likable characters. The acting is really well done. But it, it was, it's, it's distracting. Yeah, there, the, I, there was one thing I found distracting is in the jousting scenes. Regularly, I think almost every single one of the jousting scenes that wasn't like just plugged into a montage. One of the sides starts thirty seconds before the other guy. It's like he's he's there. He's and then gonna the be. The other guy is thoughtfully anticipating mm-hmm. his run, and then he lowers his visor. Meanwhile, the other guy is halfway down. Oh, he's at a clip. He's he is there. He's coming for you. That was distracting. I don't know why they made that decision. That was there was just a lot of weird things they didn't need to add in. The like the mysterious prince. They didn't like. He just kind of showed up. And then was like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, you're a knight. It, I don't know. It, there was a lot of, a lot of plot holes. Though it's an enjoyable movie, it is rated appropriately for how it is viewed. All right. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up for the day? I couldn't handle her costumes, man. You can't give a middle <laughs> a middle ages lady like gold face paint and and cleavage. All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll wrap. I. And, and I, I've muted Andrew. And yeah. so with that, I will just say that as for round one of the Everett Andrew battle, we agree that I've won round one. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20. Tune in next week because we're going to have a fun, 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 fun episode next week. Uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Really, that's where we get our support. We've got some ideas. We've been talking. We've been game planning. We've got some ideas. We've got a little bit of money, and and we we have some plans. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for more information on that as we move forward. <laughs> Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.